0: And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. There is an incident. uh, It's in the concluding days of Christ's ministry, and uh, it's likely to be passed over with little attention if we're not careful. And yet, it, it is brimming with treasure, ready to be mined if we are diligent enough to just kind of appreciate the task and undertake it. Now, the significance of the, f- the event is underscored by the fact that the event is recorded in all four gospel accounts. Now, for brevity's sake, we're just going to look at Matthew's record. We're going to focus, focus on it. We'll mention the other ones here and there. The question that Matthew wants us to ask this morning is a very simple one. Is Jesus your king. That's why it's being betrayed uh, in in that triumphal entry, all right? But is Jesus your king? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to uh, just bow the knee and, and say that we are... Uh, dependent on you father not only for our breath that we may give you praise but for our thoughts uh, father for every good thing that has ever come our way you are what is behind it and and we're looking at an event this morning that uh, was kind of the highlight of jesus's life father where he is coming in as king so god i pray that you would help us to see the truth is here uh, the truth that is here father and, and which side of this issue we are really on So speak to our hearts this morning, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the setting of this episode takes place on the Sunday just prior to the crucifixion that's going to happen later that week, and uh, as the Lord and His disciples make their way towards Jerusalem, this is what's going on. Now, this day is commonly called Palm Sunday. You see the palm branches that the children brought in this morning, and that name, of course, is being taken from the events that occurred on this notable occasion, As they approached a village called Bethphage, uh, that literally means House of Figs, right? And it's located on the western slope of Mount Olivet. As they're coming, approaching this little village, Jesus dispatched two of His disciples and He tells them to go into the community and to obtain a donkey for His use in the remainder of their journey into Jerusalem. Now Christ informed the disciples that as they entered the village, they would find a female donkey secured with a rope and uh, hitched with her would be a colt. Now the disciples were to unloose and bring back both animals. They, They would be questioned by the animal's owners as to what they're doing. You can just imagine strangers walking up and undoing your donkey and colt. And their response uh, was to be to the owners, the Lord has need of them. And immediately, permission would be granted. Now, this wasn't necessarily a prearranged agreement. Rather, it provides just a dramatic example of the Lord's um, exercise of His super, uh, supernatural knowledge whenever the circumstances demanded such. It's also worthy of note that the, the owners of these donkey, donkeys were most likely believers. They were followers of Christ. That's indicated by their quick response to that designation, Lord. The Lord needs him. Okay, take them. You can have them. When the Savior's men return, donkeys in tow, the two animals were ordained. Or, um, Adorned with outer garments of the disciples. And that may reflect the fact that he didn't know which of the two beasts of burden that he would choose. Now, Jesus chose the cult. We, cult, we know that from the other Gospels. He chose the one that no man had ever ridden before. And it's, it's pretty significant that the young animal made no resistance. Uh, this is simply a display of divine sovereignty over the animal kingdom. A few points I want us to consider here this morning. Number one, let's consider the adoring crowds. This is one of the few times when the vast majority of people are for Jesus. Uh, As the Savior rode down the road toward the capital city, two throngs of people converged on Him. There was a massive crowd coming out of the city and there was another group following Him. Uh, these were most likely disciples who had been awed by the effect of the Lord's miracles, especially the recent resurrection of Lazarus. Now, some paved the road with their garments. That was a symbol of submission. Others with layers of leaves, at least some of which were uh, from palm trees, hence the expression in the name Palm Sunday. And that's what we were kind of, you know, imitating here this morning, bringing these palm branches and laying them down. Palm branches were also employed as a token of victory. If you go back to the first century, you're going to find some Jewish coins that have palm branches on the coin and inscribed is the inscription, the redemption of Zion, The Jewish people uh, or disciples doubtless were expressing the hope that Jesus would be the one to lead them to victory over their enemies and of course that was Rome. Well, number two, there was also fulfilled prophecy, prophecy. And this is something that we can't overlook. Both Matthew and John contend that this incident was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Now, Matthew, he cites Zechariah 9 9 uh, specifically, and John alludes to it more generally. Well, the prophet Zechariah was among that original 50,000 people or so of the Jews who first returned to the land of Israel after the Babylonian captivity, and this would be about 536 B.C. Now, he wrote about five centuries before the birth of Jesus. Now, prophets' main emphasis was simply to rekindle the spiritual, spiritual fervor in Israel's hearts after they had fallen into this state of listlessness. Now, chapters 9 through 14 are rather heavily messianic in argument. The prophecy under consideration, which is Zechariah 9.9, 9, it reads as follows. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now in the original context, Zechariah had declared that there would be an invasion of certain neighboring nations which would even affect uh, portions of Canaan. He foretold the Greek assault under Alexander the Great some two centuries yet in the future. Now in spite of these seeming threats, Jerusalem was to be protected in view of her coming king. The New Testament writers focus on incidents, on events that are to occur in connection with Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now under guidance of the Holy Spirit, Matthew alters the Old Testament text just a little bit. He substitutes a phrase from Isaiah 62.11 as an introduction. He says, "'Tell the daughter of Zion.'" In addition, he admits that descriptive language of just or righteous and of also having salvation. Now, John, in his paraphrase, added, fear not. Now, we must always be aware of the fact that the Holy Spirit has every right to adjust his own language from one context to another to implement a special theological point. And no criticism is warranted from fallible men like us who may not fully see the significance. I want you to consider the following important points concerning this prophecy. Number one, Zechariah declares that Israel's king is coming. The verbal tense suggests that he is on the way, even five centuries before his birth. Now the sense is this, uh, the supernatural and providential provisions for the Messiah, for His arrival, they were already well underway. He would arrive, as Paul says, in the fullness of time and die, according to His own words, when His hour had come. Number two, the Old Testament prophet described the Messiah as just. He was to be righteous in life and just in his dealings with man, and we know that that describes Jesus. Number three, he's depicted as lowly. This is a term that's generally associated with being meek or humble, and we know that he was that. However, the Hebrew word can also mean one who is poor, And it's used elsewhere in this very book that we're talking about in that very sense. So a very real part of Christ's humiliation was that of material deprivation. He was not among the rich. Number four, Zechariah says he is having salvation. Now some take the expression to mean uh, that the king would have a plan of salvation for fallen humanity. And we know that to be true, don't we? He, He certainly accomplished that goal. But in the Hebrew text the term literally is saved and the participle saved is a passive form and appears to refer to Christ himself not that he needed to be saved because we know that he was sinless rather the language uh, the language seems to mean that he would experience a deliverance a victory the lord's resurrection from the dead was seen as a deliverance or a salvation of sorts in psalm 22 Well, number five, Zacharias' emphasis on the king's selection of a donkey for his journey uh, into Jerusalem, that's by no means merely uh, coincidental. This is not by accident. There is a point to be made here about the nature of the king's conquests and administration. The Messiah would not seek to subjugate by means of military force. Rather, as Isaiah says, he is the prince of peace. And his achievements are not by means of bloody conquest. Not yet, anyway. There is coming a day and his second coming when that will be different. You see, horses were instruments of war. Commentator uh, J.G. Baldwin, he has observed the donkey was an appropriate mount for the man who came on a mission of peace. And that was what Jesus came. Now keep in mind that the entrance into Jerusalem by donkey, that would have never been done by a false Messiah. What were they seeking? They, they were seeking earthly glory and, and worldly greatness. They would not have come humbly on a donkey. Number three, let's look at just a moment of sadness Luke is the only gospel writer to record the fact that as Jesus came near Jerusalem, he looked across the Kidron Valley and he wept over the city. Now, this is one of three instances mentioned in the New Testament where Christ sheds tears. The man of sorrows grieved over the fact that so many of his people had closed their eyes to the truth of his identity and his mission. They didn't know the real Jesus The very peace that they sought would be taken away from them and in its place uh, would come their enemies, the Roman armies. Now the devastation would be terrible, but entirely deserved because they did not know, as Jesus says in Luke there, the time of their visitation. Now that word visitation, it comes from the Greek word episkopi, and it means to oversee. Here it's a, a visitation of favor. Most of, this, most of the Jews in this city of 50,000 or so people swelling to over a quarter million at Passover, they would not see the Messiah's visit as one offering salvation. That wasn't on their mind. They were looking for a ruler who would deliver them from Rome. And sure enough, uh, five days later, they would cry, crucify him, crucify him. They'd say, let his blood be upon us and our offspring. As a result, divine judgment would engulf them in 70 AD. This is when the Roman general Titus would destroy Jerusalem and burn the temple. Well, number four, there were some diverse reactions to Jesus coming into Jerusalem, uh, mixed reactions uh, to this procession. By far, the majority of those in the crowds seem to have praised the Messiah with a variety of adulations If we combine the testimonies of all four gospel writers, here's what the people chanted. Hosanna, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Blessed be his kingdom. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now the varying phrases cited by the the gospel writers obviously reflect different expressions from the multitudes. Yet the combined chorus is one of both exaltation and And exaltation, two different words there. Do you know the difference? To exalt somebody means to praise them, to build them up, and they were doing that. Blessed is, they're they're proclaiming who Jesus was. To exalt in something means to be happy about something, to be just, you know, over the top, and that's what they were doing. They were doing this gladly, willingly, acknowledging that He was Hosanna, salvation, salvation. Well, several important truths may be gleaned from these narratives. A, Jesus was identified as the promised heir of David's throne. And we've got lots of other scriptures that bear that fact out. B, His mission was in the name of, that is, by the authority of God Himself. C, salvation would accompany His work. The cross is just a few days away at this point. D, He would be enthroned as king and usher in His kingdom. E, peace would result and God would be glorified. Now, while these exclamations were wonderfully true, the full significance of them wasn't uh, even fathomed until the Savior was glorified. Unfortunately, from their limited perspective, their limited vantage point, the disciples, even some of the closest ones, still viewed the kingdom as a political entity, reminiscent of King David's regime. As the Lord entered the city, the multitude exclaimed, they were asked, who is this? Who are you talking about? And, And they replied, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Galilee. The expression, the prophet, that's most likely an allusion to the declaration of Moses concerning uh, the prophet that God would raise up and who in some ways was foreshadowed by Israel's great deliverer of 15 centuries earlier, talking about Moses. But Moses back in Deuteronomy 18 says, hey, the Lord is gonna raise up another prophet like me. And that's what they're doing here. They're saying, hey, he is the one By way of contrast, so those are all the the good, the people that said we're doing the right stuff, they were praising God. Well, by contrast, you've got the Pharisees, most of whom had already set themselves against the Son of God. They urged Jesus to silence the worship of these disciples. In one gospel, he says, tell your disciples to stop. And in despair, John tells us that they lamented that it appeared that the whole world is gone after him. Now, that's, that's hyperbole, that's exaggerated speech, but it looked like everybody was going after Him. Oh, that they had, and yet would. It's not going to be. But Christ retorted, I tell you that if these people should hold their peace, if they should be quiet not praise Me, the stones themselves will cry out. Now, we call that a personification of nature, if you go to Isaiah 55 12, it says that the mountains and the hills burst into song, and the trees of the field clapped their hands, rejoicing at God's deliverance. In a manner of speaking, move forward 40 or so years. The stones of the temple, as they were thrown down by the Romans in AD 70, they did testify to heaven's judgment on a people that had crucified their Messiah. So the Savior's triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem um, just a week before Resurrection Sunday, that signaled both deliverance and doom. Two things, deliverance and doom. Deliverance would be the case for those who acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah and simply surrendered to His will. They would be delivered. Doom would prevail for those who rejected Him. Now, the same in principle and in a final ultimate way it applies today as well use your imagination if jesus came through that door right there and just came down the aisle riding on a donkey would you bow in humble worship would you cry out hosanna to the son of david blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord Or would you cower in fear because you know that Jesus is not your king? That's what's going on here today. He came in as king. He was temporarily exalted. Wouldn't last, would it? That's something interesting to, to think about. If we knew it was Jesus and He came riding down this aisle on a donkey... What would be your reaction? Is He your King today? Let's pray. Father, we thank You just for uh, the blessing of Your Word. Father, it it just reveals so much to us. It also reveals a lot about us. We see those who in the crowd knew You and were excited and were praising Jesus and and even worshiping Him. And Father, they, they, they understood that He was Messiah, but there were many more who did not believe some would, in fact, uh, be responsible for crucifying Him just a few days later. God, I pray that You would impress that on our hearts to understand this morning that, that the same thing is going on today. We either know who Jesus is and we bow the knee and submit to Him, or we don't. We may acknowledge, yes, Jesus is who He says he is, but our lives don't show it. We, we've never had that encounter with Jesus Himself that as Paul says, makes all things new. So God, do your work in our hearts this morning that we can see Jesus for who He really is. It's in His precious name we pray, amen. So what's your response to Jesus this morning? Do you understand that He is King? Now, here's something you need to understand. Doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. Do you know that one plus one is two? Whether or not you believe it. Would you agree with that statement? Because we understand that's a truth it. One truth it one plus one is two. Whether you believe it or not. Jesus, (laughs) he's the Messiah. He's the promised one of God, the anointed one. He is the Christ. He is the Savior. And on this day, He came in as King. He wants to be King of your life. What is your view of Him? It doesn't matter what you believe as to the truth of that statement that Jesus is king. You can say, oh, well, I don't believe it. You're going to bet your soul on that? It was called the, uh, the, the great wager. Whether you're going to uh, take a bet, well, I just don't believe it so. And so you, you're just going to wait it out. No, nothing happens at the end. And so at some point you die. What happens? You're going, to be, you're going to stand before God and He's going to have an accounting. Right? We looked at this a couple weeks ago when we were in the book of Romans. All right? The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and, and ungodliness of men who suppress that truth in unrighteousness. And He goes on to talk about creation and says that so that they are without excuse. In other words, it was true, it was evident, and you ignored it. You have no excuse. Are you going to wager your eternity on the fact that, yeah, you just don't think it's so? No, I hope not. If you don't know Jesus, if you do not know God through His Son Jesus, today is the day. He entered Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago proclaiming, you know, to be the king that was prophesied in Zechariah 9.9 riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, the Deliverer, the Savior, the King. Do you know Jesus that way? If you don't, it's not a grand deal. It's very simple, right? We have John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus, so that whoever believes in Him will not perish, not be under the wrath of God, okay, but will have eternal life. Do you know that you have eternal life this morning? If you don't, you need to to get the record straight with God this morning. And if you don't know what that's all about, I want you to come see me either as we do the invitation or after the service. Don't let this go. You need to know the truth about Jesus. If you're a believer... You know, if if you're an actual believer and you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit then yes at some point you have recognized your sin you've asked forgiveness of your sin the Holy Spirit has come into your life what about day by day is Jesus revealing himself to you and you're saying yeah I know who you say you are Jesus but I'm just not going I'm not going to follow you as king today how many have ever done that as believers you see my hand nice and high It's all right. God wants you to follow Jesus as king. He wants you to be submissive to his will. I hope that you're doing that as a believer, that you're seeking him daily. I hope you're in his word daily so you can hear from him exactly what he wants from you. He will tell you. I hope you're doing that. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook, or visit our website, CrawfordvilleFBC.com.